it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? I am Chris Adams, and we are back with the Pink Elephant. And exciting today, we have Peter Wasper with us. And Peter, you are a native of Naples, Florida. And we were just talking about the fact that you Naples has undergone a little bit of a transformation here in the past couple of years, thanks to that that massive storm that came through. How are you holding up over there? We're doing great, Chris. It's great to be with you. Yeah, we've actually just had the most recent eye storm come through, Adalia, and fortunately, Adalia didn't get us. It went further north, and the people up in St. Pete and uh, Tampa area really got whooped. Last year it was Ian. Yeah. Five years ago it was Irma. So whenever the eye storms it's come the out, eyes. We, that's we, it. Yeah, we, we start to duck. <laughs> we start to duck a little bit. We're a little bit gun shy. Um, and yeah. I, I, I would, I would correct you only from the perspective of my. Uh, I'm almost a native. I've been here for over 32 years. My wife is a real native, born and raised. Yeah, it's pretty close. It's pretty close. <laughs> in, well, in Florida and like a lot of other places that bring people in, it's a matter of uh, probably time served. Yeah, fair enough. And you've uh, endured the heat and humidity for that many years. You're officially a native. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We love it. Well, listen, I've got to ask you, um, serial entrepreneur, multiple companies that you've created, established, run. Um, let's kind of dig in a little bit to this journey. What I'm curious, when did you realize that working the nine to five, um, working for someone else just wasn't going to work for you and and <laughs> making that jump or that leap of you know, we're crazy. It makes no sense why we do it when we do it, but there's also something that's running through your blood. You have no choice but to do it. When did that happen for you? Well, in college, <clears throat> in college, I, I did, I had uh, several different uh, jobs. One of them was building homes. And what I loved about building homes was um, the way our crew operated, you had sort of a section of the home that you worked on and whether you did it with a partner or not, it was a pretty independent, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, I'll call it, you know, oversight. And uh, I got into, I guess what I reflected at the end of the day as the work that I had done. It was great to actually look back and go, that's really cool. I did that today. And I think that's really where things started to click for me. I I, of course, I went to college um, and uh, after college, got a, a job with a, with a great company um, doing something that I had never done before, which which was selling uh, mutual funds to banks and savings and loans in Texas. So this is in the late 80s. And it was an interesting okay. experience. Um, but I had a hard time defining uh, or seeing what my work was. And uh, I guess I probably realized at that point that I needed to do something different. And I came back and I tried a couple of other things. Um, I eventually got into equipment leasing. And with equipment leasing, what I liked about it was we, we dealt with uh, computer systems and telephone systems. But what I really liked was when we transitioned or grew the portfolio to include um, forklifts, 
machine tools, um, process equipment, you know, and you could go visit the equipment and you could see it really doing its work. And so for me, that the, the value add for me, the, the, the response was, hey, I helped to make sure that this was in place, that, you know, these A, people had jobs, B, they were producing something that was uh, being sold and see that it was a it was a construct that worked really well for the for the companies that we did business with. So I really appreciated that. Um, and then I got back into another uh, business where, again, it was more uh, selling software and I couldn't really see the value of it. Uh, but I was approached by several investment bankers back in 2010 to come up with a plan for leasing Harley Davidson motorcycles. And so I was curious the- about this. I was like, did you, cause you know, with Harley Davidson, I mean, there's no greater um, fan base. And I, I read an article at one point that talked about the fact that um, the majority of fans and people that wear Harley gear have never been on a Harley in their life, uh, in their right. life. And so I'm, I was curious, did Harley pull you into this because you're a huge fan or was it the other way around? Uh, well, interesting, uh, interesting question. Positioning, positioning my response will be uh, uh, the actual events that occurred, which is I had no idea what Harley was really all about. I mean, I knew the brand. I, of course, was attracted to the motorcycles, but I didn't ride. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't really it was actually a little bit of a fearful entry into the marketplace. Part of my early research was to go visit a Harley Davidson dealership, which I had never been in before. And um, so I, I approached it very cautiously. I sort of thought like, okay, maybe this could be a little fearful. Are these guys going to, you know, are they going to come swinging with their chains and, you know, (laughs) uh, heavy leathers and I'm going to get, you know, inculcated into the, into the gang. Uh, And it wasn't the case. They were very professional uh, super, super nice people. Yeah, they all had the tattoos and the leather vests and what have you, but they couldn't have been any nicer. Super genuine, great people. And so I thought, well, okay, there's something to that. That's nice people to work with is a good is a good uh, is a good first step. And then I looked at the value of the the bikes, and they were remarkably consistent. Just a remarkable consistency in how they held their value over time. So yep. between the two those two data points, I thought, well, this is a good product to actually put, you know, a two, three, or four year lease on top of, and give people an opportunity to get on a on a Harley. And so here again was sort of this tangible component of the business that made made things worthwhile, right? So that's part of this whole answering your question in a very long roundabout way, um, doing things on my own. Uh, there was something that I could see that my effort contributed to the value of somebody's life. So that's really where this came into play. You know, um, we started working at the, at building the, the, the business and the platform and how do we make the, 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 the dealer's life easy by automating the entire process. Cause none of these guys knew anything about leasing. Right. So yeah. <laughs> they, they knew, they knew about the bike and they knew about the rider and their job was to put the two together and get them out the door. And so our job was to create a finance product that allowed them to do so 
with just a couple of clicks and, and pushes of buttons and out they went. So we automated a system that that uh, even Harley didn't have at the time. So um, wow. so we, we had a pretty good run, pretty good, pretty good success rate there in making that happen. And we had the value of visiting dealers all across the country, including in Las Vegas, where you're at. In fact, it was in Las Vegas that I had a conversation with the local dealer who told me that, you know, um, uh, our program had caused his customers to cry because wow. they had not been able to get on a Harley. They couldn't afford the cash and they didn't have uh, really sterling credit to get a loan but they really wanted to ride. And our program was, we were able to um, uh, help out people that had some credit challenges get on a bike. And he said, these guys just cried. I mean, they just couldn't believe that they were actually on their, you know, their dream was to always to ride. So those are very rewarding and fulfilling um, stories about why that became something that I was driven to do. Working for somebody else, um, look, you know, at the end of the day, a, a, a job is a really good and valuable thing to have. Uh, and you may have interests outside of your your uh, professional career that fulfill you. But for me, work work needs to be fulfilling. And the way I get fulfilled is if it's on my terms and if I have the ability to drive things forward, that's that's where I'm going to point my time and my energy and my and my love. So. Uh, that's that's really the long long way of saying <laughs> answer your question, I guess. You know, I tell you something you said there that I think is really important for those that are potentially looking at starting a business or in the middle of you know having their business and trying to find out what's the what's the evolution of their company. And you talked yeah. about the fact that with Harley specifically, you had in you had individuals that knew the bikes, they knew the brand, and you had people that loved the brand and wanted to be on a bike you were the person that came in and were able to connect those two things together to get a tangible result. And I think from a business perspective, if you could find that, what's your niche? How do you add value to whatever it is that the field or that you're going into? What's your place? What is it? How are you doing something that's adding value to whether you're in hospitality, hotels, um, or creating financing or in, in the Harley Davidson, the, the motorcycle industry? If you're going to start your business, what's that thing that you're bringing to the table that now adds value to that field that you're going into? And that's exactly what you did. And you got a tangible result from it. And I think that's important for um, anybody that's that's running an organization to make sure that you're always adding value to wherever it is that you're at and being hired to do. Exactly right. I'll complement that statement with um uh, a comment that I heard several years ago that if you're going to build something or be a part of something, you want to be a part of something that's a painkiller, not necessarily mm. a vitamin, right? So a vitamin's good to take, but I don't really need to take it every single day. But if you got a painkiller and it hits that nerve every single day, then build to that. I just I just had that discussion with uh, another um, another CEO this morning who's wrestling with a couple of uh, challenges in sales and marketing. He's got this great product, and they're having some challenges with market fit. And I said, you know, you've got to just dial into those elements of what you've built and define the painkillers, and then tell your and that will help to define your target audience. If you suffer from this, this is the product you need to have. 
So those yeah, that's those, great. Attributes, I love that. those attributes are, are are they're redolent every single day. I mean, we have in the current platform, we have a tremendous amount of uh, time, energy, and capital invested, um, and everything that we do is re- revolves around feedback from the marketplace, right? So this is one of the greatest ways to build a business is to have this kernel of idea of what that pain is that you can solve for, and then to bring that to the market and wait for them to come back and tell you more about what more they need out of it and build to that solution. And you find that if you get enough people involved, you start to come up with a product that becomes more broadly accepted. So, and I think that's probably the case with, you know, hard manufacturing or software or any service that you come up with. Yeah. I, I think the the one thing I heard from that, and I, I just dealt with it this, this past week is learn how to listen. I think I don't care if I'm talking about your, you as being a CEO, being a server, being a bartender, be selling real estate, learn how to listen. I, I think so many times you we come into situations with our own ideas. We think we have the answer and we want to then we want everyone else to fall in love with our answer as much as we have. When sometimes we just need to sit back and listen. Um, watch, watch the response. And, you know, I, when I talk about listening many times, I talk about my dad was a psychologist, so it's driven a lot for me on how the brain works and looking at body language. And in my industry, listening is not necessarily audibly, but it's many times watching, watch, watch how our guests are walking into the front of our hotel, watch how they respond when they're in the lobby, watch how they're standing at the front desk, watch how they're going up to the bar. And if we just watch that allows us to listen to what their body's telling us. And it gives us uh, so much more information than if we were to walk up and just start peppering them with questions to try and get a response that we want to hear. And so what, what I was hearing you say was, just listen, listen to the people that will speak to you. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, um, and that's a big challenge uh, for a lot of people. One of the things that, you know, I could look back in history in, in my, <laughs> my dad always says, you just love a project. And so <laughs> I, I have uh, started a lot more projects than have actually gone forward. And yeah. through the, um, through the very honest ear of hearing people, there are certain things that I thought were going to be just crackerjack great. And after hearing the response from people that I know, like, and trust, I thought, well, we're not going to pursue that. So, you know, <laughs> and I, typically I, I, I make I, that decision after I've lost money too. <laughs> Well, it's it's hard after you've invested money. It's harder after you invest money than before, and so and I've learned that because I've done I've done what you just talked about. Well, we'll go down this road and we we'll start spending a bunch of capital and you know creating a product and and, and nobody's buying it and you you can't wiggle out of where you are. You're like, well, that's that's not going to work. Uh, I should have oh, listened yeah. to people a little bit more clearly early on. Which so I've learned that. I mean, there's certain things that you know. I so go to your mom. What does your mom think? Like, if I gave you this, would you use this? Yeah. Let, well, tell me more about it and tell her all about it, and all the details and what have you. Nah, probably not. And my mom will buy anything. And so if mom <laughs> said no, I'm like, okay, we're not going to go down that road. Uh, on this current project with, with Pro Valet, it actually started out as something completely different than where we've ended up. It, 
I'm a, I'm a boater. Like my vice is boating. I love to go boating and we're fortunate to have one. And I had this, you know, ability to pick up the phone and call and they'll put the boat in the water for you and then you can go boating. And I thought, well, it'd be really cool to have a reservation system, you know, just do something online. I, I don't want to, I, I don't like picking these things up for making phone calls for whatever reason. I, I don't like it. I'd rather just go ahead and click a button on my phone and get an app, open it up, set the time, be done and just show up and know that it's, it's happening. So I went down the road of actually developing that. And then I and and before I spent the money to go ahead and build it to that, what I thought was a problem, I talked to people at our boatyard, and then I talked to people in other boatyards all across the country, and I found out that it was a cool idea, but it was not a painkiller, and it was an awful lot of money to start. So I thought, hey, I'm just not gonna just not gonna go down that road. But the construct of what we had started to build the triangulation of the relationship between a company, uh, one of their uh, employees, and me as a customer seeking to solve a problem, that triangulation of a solution has become very clearly uh, an advantage that we have in the market right now. So there's there really is something to this concept of making sure that there's this clear level of, it really comes down to communication. Right. Anybody who's in any business, yeah. you know, that there's just a, you know, communication is elemental. Uh, if you don't do it well or even res reasonably well, people will start looking for another place to go. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. And I'm curious as we talk about automation, technology is continuing to just, I mean, it's developed, being developed at warp speed right now. And we see AI happening um, at, I mean, a crazy pace. How have you adapted? Obviously, at ProValet, you talked about automation and things that you did for Harley. How I guess two questions here. One, how difficult was that for you to transition to realizing that that, that automating things are actually a benefit versus just staying um, in, in the traditional way of how it was always done? And then part two of that is where do you see technology taking us now because there's huge fear around that right we there's the fear of p it's going to take people's jobs it's it's going to hurt the creativity around what we do as humans how do you see technology being an asset and a benefit um to any organization right now so to answer the first part of the question uh with respect to automation for for me it was a natural uh, move to automate things for people. <clears throat> in uh, in our leasing company, we had, I think it was five different systems that we needed to enter the exact same data in order to manage, you know, I'll call it a billion dollar portfolio, right? So all of these different equipment leases are all over the world and, you know, different different elements of those leases need to be managed on a regular basis. And there were five different systems that we needed to enter. Every time we were awarded a transaction, we had to take all that data and put it into a number of different places. Um, and this was, this was at the time that the leasing business was, there was an evolution towards some, you know, an aggregation of the data and trying to manage it better, what have you. Um, we actually sold the business before we got too deep into it. Um, and, I took that experience into automating not only our business, uh, the leasing company for Harleys, but then automating the experience for the dealers and 
mm-hmm. helping them helping them think through or not have to think through all of the processes necessary to effectively sell a bike. So that was it was a really easy thing to think about. It was enormously difficult to actually put together. I mean, just yeah. crazy amounts of uh, time. And but the good news is we had a good team. Uh, that same really good team is with me now building this platform and they just get it. I mean, automating candidly, I'm lazy. Like I don't want to do paperwork. Like if I can just Fair plug enough. the number in, if I can plug the number in and have it go to all of my different systems, that's all I want to do. And that was my mandate uh, uh, for this business and the, and the one prior, which is I want the data to go in one place, one time. And that's it. Yeah. And data is all of the deal data or um, all the contract obligations. You know, if there's a if there's an invoice that needs to get generated, I don't want I don't want anybody on my team having to go generate an invoice. Just make it go. Let it should go, and we should, by the way, get payments automatically back the, with the way things operate today. So, from an automation perspective, today's Today's environment is is really uh, very very good that way. Um, the challenges uh, with AI are kind of like where we talked at the beginning of the conversation about you know the love hate relationship with technology, right? I love it when yeah. it works for me, hate it when it works against me. And long gone are the days of hitting the you know hitting the side of the the uh, the television to get it to come back in, or you know getting the Just- Turn the computer the off, blue, turn it back on. Yeah, getting the blue screen of death from Microsoft and having to shut the whole thing down to bring it back up and what have you. Those days are basically gone. Uh, we're, we're in a state right now where um, I, there is a lot of fear around AI. And I think it's, it, it's interesting because I haven't seen it actually, um, I haven't seen anybody really fight AI, right? You sort of make a choice whether you're going to use it and adopt it or not. And um in some cases, you can't help but to be a part of it. You know, we're looking at uh, attributes for communicating with our our current clients and prospective clients, and AI becomes a very natural tool to use in order to effectively automate communications. And so, I I think that's fine. I don't I don't think I'm going to put anybody out of work. You know, your the style of what you do from a writing perspective in terms of crafting the emails or what have you, those can be generated out of AI instantly. But the art is going to come in from what prompt are you writing? So versus the old way of having to craft the proper tight email, now it's going to be, am I a, am I an expert prompt writer? And can I balance that between several different components? And this is just the writing side of AI. I mean, my goodness, the whole concept of how AI can generate activity without any human influence, uh, that's good to a point, right? Like I really have a hard time with the concept of AI uh, fabricating what looks to be true, you know? Am I really talking to Chris right now or am yep. I talking to yeah. the AI version of Chris? I find that to be really troublesome. So, yeah, the the one thing that I've looked at from a technology standpoint in 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 the hospitality hotel business is if I can I still believe that the human side in hospitality 
is what drives um, it's what drives the, the the experience. It drives the emotional connection. It's what people crave. When you show up to a luxury property, the fact that they know your name and they they greet you on the front drive, th- those are the things they go, this is why I'm paying to be here. It, it makes me feel something special. So for me, the way I see technology as being an asset and a benefit is if I can take the processes that and 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 streamline that through technology to give my people, the human side, more time to engage my Mm -hmm. guest. That's where we win, right? So it's not how do I use technology to replace a person? It's how do I make the the back office, the boring crap that no one wants to do way easier so they can spend more of their time. If eight hours, if their eight hour shift, if six to seven of those hours is standing in front of guests, smiling, shaking hands and giving hugs, we win. So if I can use technology to make that happen, then technology becomes a huge asset for what we do. I think in Indian organization, I think it's being careful not to overuse technology to then start Mm -hmm. to take away from the guest experience, at least in the, the luxury side of what we do. I think it's even down to the baseline, uh, even stepping down, um, to, you know, the everyday person, people want to be heard. Yeah. And if if a person is heard and they know that they're heard, that's when you that's like when you call somebody by their first name. Right. When we're speaking with people, we use their first name. They like to hear their first name. The platform, uh, the pro valet platform advocates for being heard, making sure that the customer is heard by the service company The we have a homeowner app that allows them to request service, type up a little something, add a video, and that goes over to the to the service company's uh, uh, dashboard where it's an alert. And once they touch it, once they look at it, the customer automatically gets a response that says, we're looking at your request right now. When that request moves into being scheduled, they get another automatic re- uh, response saying, hey, we scheduled your we scheduled your repair or what have you for this date. That's it. And all the, as a homeowner, that's all you want to know. So where do I stand? Uh, it's almost when you order the pizza at Domino's and you can watch the tracker that says we just yep. finished putting the pepperoni on top. It's going to the oven. Yeah. <laughs> at least I know where we stand in the process. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly. It's just, it's not, um, as I tell my clients, it's not that we communicate more we communicate in the way that you would want to communicate automatically. You just don't yeah. have the time. You're just restricted by, you're restricted by time and resources. We just automate what you would normally want to do anyways and elevate that customer experience. Yeah, that's great. So I want to transition now to sales and marketing. Um, yep. Sales and marketing today versus 15 years ago versus 10 years ago. How different is it now? than it was 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah, when I look back 15 years ago and I think about the marketing that we employed and how we executed sales, it was very rote. Everything was very rote and there was a lot of guesswork. I think the one thing that we benefit from today, uh, going back to technology, is the advancement of knowing what, what really, you know, you have a cause and effect in sales and marketing. And today you have a much higher read on what your ROI is for taking this action before you even take it. So there's a lot less, I'll call it uh, experimenting 
I think there's more, it's a more iterative process on really hmm. refining messaging, refining um, processes, um, you know, the advent of um, how CRMs work is just fabulous. And you look at, so one of, one of my favorite companies and one of my newest favorite companies are married at the hip. I love Shopify. I think Shopify's solution for retail, online retail sales, you know, if I want to sell widgets online, I'm going to use the Shopify model. It's brilliant and it's easy yeah. and I can do it. And even though I don't know how to build a store, it's built for me. That's actually the business model yeah. we have at Pro Valet for service companies. If you Basically, if you run a service company, you should have Pro Valet running your whole back office. Um, wow. So Shopify does a great job of of employing technology to facilitate sales and marketing. And they've married up with one of my newest favorite companies called Clavio. And Clavio is an automated communication tool for uh, anybody that's in your customer base. If somebody has seen your ad, they're now part of a Clavio stream of either ad offers or emails or what have you. And it's all data driven. So from sales and marketing perspective, data data wins hands down all day long yeah. and you have instant access to it. So that's from my perspective, it's the immediacy with which you can collect the data and have it um, employed to benefit you and your customers right now versus what used to take a very long time to sort of curate either messages or, or what have you. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a big change and you've, yeah, I think you can't run a business without it. You know, I mean, yeah. you really need to be attendant to, uh, some of the, some of the, uh, well, constant contact or MailChimp or something, you've got to have something to help facilitate your sales and your marketing. Yeah. It's almost, we've become, um, a lot more instant in our decision-making because of the data that we're getting so quickly versus mm -hmm. being very reactive of, Hey, we've gathered data over the course of X number of months. And based on this data, we're now going to make a decision on what we're going to do next. So you've lost six months worth of, you know, potentially growing your business or your brand because you were gathering data to where now we're, we can almost get that data, not, not almost, we can get it to the second. And I think when yeah. you look at how, um, you know, social media, and, and how much that now is driving and dictating um, how our sales and marketing campaigns are, are executed, um, the strategies behind how we go to market with, with our sales and marketing. It's crazy to me how we'll look at Instagram and TikTok now as part of our mm -hmm. marketing campaign for an organization, for, for our company. Um, and I'm like, this is a social channel that has everything from, you know, my 12 year old nephew to, you know, my 70 year old mother are all on the same exact platform looking at essentially the same things. And for no money, if for all intents and purposes, for no money, I can reach and touch as many people globally as I mean, it's just it's kind of wild when you think what we have access to and just trying to figure out how to do it. How do you really yeah. use it to benefit you? Um, 
because it, it's overwhelming, to be honest with you. Well, I, I think the uh, so I, I'm a big advocate of, of using the social channels as as tools to get your message out and sell things. Um, but it is, you know, so I, I in, in our in our current business, what we found is that, you know, there's the LinkedIn crowd. There's a Facebook audience, which may be also which may be Instagram, which may be TikTok. Let's just use those mm-hmm. four. Um, and then refining your your balance of where you're spending your time advertising to those people or communicating somehow. That's really where that's really where this um, for I think for any business, that's really where you end up trying to that that's where the iterate for me, that's where the iteration comes, but it comes from the data too. I mean it comes very, very quickly. Yeah. You know, if I have a hundred dollars to spend in a month on advertising and I said, let's start out with twenty-five dollars in each of those four categories. I'll be able to get a read very quickly where we're getting uptake. And then we'll just start moving asset, you know, moving resources around to take advantage of where we're getting better traction. So it's a, it's a really compelling way to run a business. I'm, I'm really, um, I'm fearful of it on some levels because of how much data is there and what they're, yeah. what is being gathered and what have you, but it facilitates communication in a brilliant way. Yeah, it scares the hell out of me too because I just I'm I'm not good at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did, yeah. When I look at social media, like people are like, oh, dude, your social page. I'm like, you don't understand the number of people that are uh, uh, assisting me um, and a part of my life to make that look yeah. the way it looks because I'm just what I I'm I'm very clear on naturally what I'm good at and what I'm not, and I'm completely okay with that. I am secure mm-hmm. enough to be okay with what I'm not good at, and I just. I'm not good at it. I get it. I, the importance of it. Um, but I really struggle. I'm not the guy that picks up my phone every two seconds to take a picture of something or, or, Oh my God, I got to shoot this video or record myself doing something. It's not a natural thing for me to do that. So it's definitely made the transition for me into utilizing social media a little bit more challenging because I, I need more assistance <laughs> to be successful. Yeah. at it. I, I'm uh, I'm with you. I'm in the same camp. I'm, I think one of the uh, challenges that we have is, although it's a great resource, it um, it obscures the connection that you and your properties need to make with your customers, mm-hmm. and it obscures the real conversations that need to happen um, on a on a B to C level. Um, because the narcissism attached to what you just talked about is um, an amazing distraction. Um, I took a course earlier this year with uh, Stephen Kotler and Ryan Doris, and they have a group called the Flow Research Collective. And it's a very clear and objective view of how people operate and where our capacity for focus has gone. And most of it's gone exactly where you just talked about, right into the phone. I've got to take a video of this. I've got to take a picture of that. I've got to post here. I've got to comment there. And that level of distraction ends up being a terrible drain on productivity. And so it's actually actually a part of the course that allow, that where they show you how to turn your phone, not off, but it turns off all notifications. And yeah, it's been, tra- it's been transformational for me. 
<laughs> so I don't get distracted by the the texts, the notifications from Instagram or what have you. And look, you know, uh, as a business owner, we've got to be cognizant. If that's a if that's a marketing channel, you've got to be attached to it at some level. But if you can, yeah, and it's crazy too because, yeah. it, weirdly enough because of the world we live in, because we have our phones, because these phones have more power in them than, you know, any computer did 15, 20 years ago, we have instant access to anything we want. We have the answers at our fingertips, which means that we have now conditioned society to be an instant gratification. I need a result now. I need to know the answer now. My food should be delivered now. Um, this person should respond to me now. I mean, hell, Anytime somebody has a, you know, if it's not blue and it's green when you're texting and I can't see the bubbles pop up and it's like, oh right. my God, I have no idea are they responding right now? What's happening? Like, what, where have we gotten to at this point that like, we're, we're so granular that I literally look to see, okay, there's bubbles. They're responding right now to what I just text them. So mm -hmm. I'm going to leave it open and just stare at it until this yeah. thing and god forbid those bubbles just go away and and the text doesn't come through because now i'm pissed that Where you were just looking at it you were typing something I and you made a choice not to respond yeah. to me yeah. and i mean that makes what that makes when we look at how we live our personal lives that way what does that do and how was it impacting our businesses because now i have an assumption if i'm going to live everything else in my life that way that when i show up to your hotel i'm not going to wait in line I, are you mm -hmm. kidding me? Wait in line. I don't wait for anything. You know, I right. can click a button and it tells me a car is going to show up in four minutes that gets put me in the back and this takes me wherever I want to go. And you want me mm -hmm. to wait in line to get a key to go to, like it's, we, it is a, it is created a very skewed reality. Um, mm -hmm. And it's forcing, at least in my world, us to alter the way we do business to basically have to adhere to and um, uh, make up for our customer, our guest that has a skewed perception of reality. You know, the, when we look at ticket times, mm -hmm. you know how many customers like, you know, it, it, I had to wait 25 minutes for it. And I'm looking at a, a camera and I'm going, it wasn't, it was, it was seven minutes. Like I, 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 I don't know what so, else to do. It's crazy. Great, great statistic that we're using, you know, we're going out to the market for uh, some professional capital. And so putting a deck together required putting together all the data points that we've been collecting to make that happen. One of the data points that I love to talk about and why the homeowner app is so important is because a any customer, any consumer, 82% of them are requiring an immediate or near immediate response to a request. And Immediate or near immediate is defined as under 10 minutes. So you just talked about it. Seven minutes was like too long. So under 10 minutes, I have a request for you to come and clean my pool. Like I want to know that you're on the way. So I send my request in and if I don't get some sort of response back automatically, like Sally yeah. is at the desk and she saw it and clicked on it and you don't get that automatic response that says, hey, okay, we got it. We're, we're on it. That's all I want to see. That's good enough. It's just like you just talked about. It's like, okay, I got a car coming. It's four minutes away. Perfect. I can wait four minutes. Yeah. Just set the I, I have to see the I have to see the pace of everyone else to make sure that they you know, they've acknowledged me and we're moving in the right mm -hmm. direction toward getting the result I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. it's crazy. Right.
so I'm, uh, we're, we're getting to the tail end now, and there's a couple of things, a uh, question that I still have for you. There's a big piece of what we do, uh, a huge passion of mine and what I think is an insanely important for every organization, and that's leadership. I'd love to get your thoughts on on the importance you, of what you believe, the importance of leadership in an organization, and what does that look like? What is leadership is such this this I don't know, euphoric term that's used now that, oh, are they a great leader? You know, focus on leadership, Mm -hmm. not management. What does that mean to you? What are are those things that, those qualities that are a necessity for you to have when leading your company? Uh, Well, there there are a couple of things. The first one, I'll go back to a topic that we talked about earlier, and that's listening. You know, we can have... um, one of the most important things about leadership is to have a clear idea about where you're going and making sure that the team that you engage understands what that mission is and that they're passionate about it and that they're committed to it. And so one of the great things about leadership is, you know, keeping an eye on that and making sure that people are, you know, they're, they're still engaged in the passion. So there's a lot of cheerleading that happens. Um, but along the way, you have to be cognizant of how your people are reacting and are you listening to what they're telling you? One of the, mm-hmm. one of the great lessons I learned in, uh, you know, a couple of companies ago was, you know, being dictatorial um, is not necessarily leadership that actually frightens people. And so yeah. engaging your people in the mission is far superior to dictating, hey, this is how this is going to happen. So um, leadership for me is about building teams and they're still going to look to you for the direction, right? Like they're going to you're going to be the barometer, you know, compass point north that they'll follow. But you've got to hear what they're saying. Like there's something that um, they're seeing in their side uh, or there's or there's something that they're hearing from the marketplace that you need to know about. And you have to build that trust where they feel like they can send you that or give you that information. And it's going to be taken seriously and that you'll respond accordingly. Um, The other thing is uh, hire people that are smarter than you, because in no way, shape or form do I know anything and I never I have enough humility to admit that day one. But if you like the mission, this is where we're going. These are the people that we have on the team and let's go. And we've been we've been successful with that model. It's been very good. Um, but, you know, hiring people who are specialists in the areas that you need is really important. And they're going to be a lot smarter than you, hopefully. And uh, and i complement that with uh, an overarching philosophy that I've always had, which is you hire people for their God-given gifts. Let them go. Let them do their job. And when they do their job without me standing over their shoulder and looking at every little, every little thing that they're doing, it's remarkable the product that they deliver. It's really yeah. so far above where you could possibly expect. I mean, I've hired, um, I've hired people recently who are punching so far above where I thought they could go simply because I said, this is the direction we're going in. This is where I see your role. Um, let me know what kind of tools you need. And then and then we just kind of work together. And it's just like amazing how these people just elevate 
and really make significant contributions. Um, and then I think you just have to kind of acknowledge them. It isn't necessarily the pat on the back, but it's just acknowledging that, you know, they really are really special people and that their gifts are highly valued. It's so great, at least for me in, in leadership role, to seeing, seeing team members win, seeing them. Yeah. I, I love what you just said is, I think part of what we do, and I say it all the time, is, um, is seeing in them what they don't see in themselves sometimes and helping yeah. expose that and then watching them excel and, and exceed their own expectations. There's, there's almost nothing more gratifying than seeing that happen to other people. Mm-hmm. Which I think for me is why and I dealt with something this past week with one of our one of our uh, companies. I get heavily invested um, in in any project that I do, um, especially companies that we're invested in, and I get heavily invested into the people. I want them to win. I want them to I want them to be the best versions of themselves. Which is why when when something happens and they make choices to not live up to those expectations or or exceed or live up to how great they truly are, it it is a very personal thing for me. The disappointment that I have that they've chosen to not be the best version of themselves, it it literally is a punch in the gut, man. It takes it, yeah, it is emotionally personal, right? draining for me yep. because it's. Yep. The idea that I'm not that guy that just is okay with like, oh, I'm just, just get rid of, just fire him. I see the <clears> best <throat> in everyone and I believe that everyone intends to do great things. And it is my job to help them get that, go, go get that, that direction, go down that path. And when you invest in those individuals and then they, they choose to do otherwise, when I tell you, man, break my heart, like it just, it takes me a day or two to, to recalibrate because I, it's not that I hurt for me. I hurt for them. I hurt that they don't realize what they're capable of. I hurt that they don't realize what they could be. Um, and that, that just kills me, man. That's just. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting how when you get into a, a role where you're leading teams and you have that philosophy of, you know, use your gifts, keep going, advocate for it. And when they choose something differently, you, you take it personally. Yeah. Right? It's like, this is a, not that you're, it's not an affront to you. It's like, I don't get it. Like I see this, you know, amazing person who can, who has these brilliant gifts and yet you're not really, you're not getting yourself you know, somehow. Yeah. So yeah, that's part of the, part of the process of people learning about themselves. I, you know, um, long gone are the days of, um, you know, trying to work, too quickly, right? We all have been in situations where you've got a project and you've got to move fast. That's fine. But where you move too quickly, you stumble and fall. And um, looking at how things operate today in my life, it's much slower. I'm like, I'm really a lot slower than probably people would. I mean, even that I like, but that's just one of those attributes where slow, maybe a little bit more careful, maybe not quite as um, impetuous, Right. Yeah. And so yeah. when you see when you see somebody see themselves or act, uh, you know, in their in who they are, it's really that's that's very rewarding. It's when they fall out of that that we all get a little uncomfortable, I suppose. Yeah. So, look, let me close this out with saying um, you're talking to um, 
senior leaders, business owners, individuals that are are trying to make the, the decision right now, do they want to jump from their nine to five and take on the role of becoming an entrepreneur? Or you have individuals that are working for someone and love what they do and they just want to continue to grow in that position. Hmm. What is what is just a, a couple of lines that you can give anyone that's listening right now that's either encouragement um, or something that's going to benefit them, give value to where they're at right now? Well, those are two, uh, two different camps with kind of a similar mission. And if, and if I were to talk to somebody, it'd be, it'd be very similar to the conversation I had this morning with uh, another CEO. Um, I, I like people who have a, a, a mission. I like people to feel like they have a mission. They're going to they're going to do something. Something is significantly uh, more investable, or you can invest in it more with more emotion and more talent if you have some measure of attachment to it, some sort of passion around it. I talked about the tangibility of you know building a house or leasing something that I could see and touch, or seeing the impact of you know, what a product has in somebody's life. Those are, those are attributes that I would suggest people look for in whatever they're currently engaged in, or if they're looking to do something new and different on their own. Um, find something that, that fulfills you. That, would, be, that, that. would probably be how I would have somebody look at whatever it is, whether you're going to do it on your own, or you're in a you're in a great job and and uh, you're a contributor to the team, is what you're doing fulfilling for who you are? And yeah, I would that's great. tell people to keep keep going down that road. And if it's not, um, have no fear, man. Have no fear. You're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. Make the change. Like this is another thing that I I, I do talk to people about this who are really fearful. Well, I got a job. I got a paycheck. No, you don't. Somebody else has you if you're feeling that yep. way. You want to be owned Man. or you want to live your life. So keep going. I, I tell you, <laughs> those are great words, words of wisdom for sure. And Peter, I can't thank you for hanging out with us today. Um, such great insight from you. Um, and I look forward to hopefully doing this again. If people want to find you and get more information, what's the best way? So uh, I love to get emails from people, and the best email address is peter at provalet.io, P-R-O-V-A-L-E-T dot I-O. You can always look me up on LinkedIn. Just go into LinkedIn and uh, check the search for Peter Wassmer. I've got a page there. You can uh, hit me up there, too. That's awesome. Thanks again, Peter. We appreciate it. You've been listening to The Pink Elephant. I'm Chris Adams. You could find me at chrisadams underscore EAG or ellisadamsgroup.com. We look forward to seeing everyone next week.